Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. It's The Stacks Book Club Day. We're discussing The Office of Historical Corrections by Danielle Evans this week in detail, which is code for, yes, there are spoilers today. Our guest is National Book Award finalist Disha Filia, author of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Today, we're diving deep into this story collection, so if you haven't read the book yet, listen at your own risk. I also want to take a moment to congratulate both Disha and Danielle for their collections being finalists for the Story Prize. In case you missed it last week, Danielle Evans was our guest on the podcast to discuss the Office of Historical Corrections without spoilers, so that's a perfect listen for anyone who hasn't quite finished the book yet. Be sure to listen until the end of today's episode to find out our book club pick for February. If you want more discussion around the Office of Historical Corrections and all of our book club picks, consider joining the Stacks on Patreon. Patreon is a website where you can contribute monthly to help me make this show. In exchange for your generosity, you earn perks like our virtual book club, which is to say once a month, I will hop on a video chat with you and other members of the Stacks pack and discuss the Stacks book club pick. We talk about the book in detail and discuss conversations that come up on the podcast. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join us. Shout out to some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack. Christy Mandeville, Jenna, Renea Diamond, Nana Odaluga, Ashton Ballard, Cree Miles, Alexandra Indegua Rennebaum, Brittany, Ayana Close, and Amber. Thank you all so, so much for continuing to show the Stacks love. There would be no show without the Stacks pack. If you want to join, please head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Okay, now it's time for the Stacks book club conversation of the Office of Historical Corrections with Disha Filia. All right, everybody, I am back again with the author and wonderful all-around human, Disha Filia. We're talking about The Office of Historical Corrections by Danielle Evans for the Stacks Book Club today. Disha, welcome back to the Stacks. Thanks so much, Tracy. I'm just so excited. Okay, we're going to dive right in. Um, for everyone listening, there will be spoilers today. So if you have not read the book and you think you want to read the book and you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and pause this, go read, and then come back. We'll be here. Disha and I will be very patient. We'll, we will wait for you. For everyone else, let's just dig in. We always start here just kind of generally. What did you think of the book? 
So I was like, there were just like parts of the book where my mouth was just hanging open. So I just stunning, like literally, you know, they, that's commonly used to describe, but I was so stunned in so many different places uh, in these stories. And full disclosure, I've had a chance to um, meet Danielle. Um, she's part of the Kimbilio Fiction Fellow faculty. And okay. uh, the summer of 2017, when I was there, she was my faculty person. So okay. I got to, you know, it, have a one-on-one session with her, which was really cool. Um, and, you know, she's just super smart and just her, you know, the mind, right? Like every page, I was like, I never knew what she was going to do next. And so um, I, it's just such a smart collection and really stunning. So that's my overall perspective. I'm with you. I know I said last time you were here that I don't like fiction and I rarely have nice things to say about it, but I fucking love this collection. And I was really shocked because I thought, really, am I going to like two short story collections in 2020? Like this is, this is unheard of. I mean, truly the book is so great. I, I, I have, if I'm being like full, fully honest. I mm-hmm. did not hit my stride with the story collection until story number three. So the first two stories, okay. I sort of, the first one, I didn't really care about very much at all. The second one, I sort of was like, okay, this there's some interesting things here. And then the third one, Boys Go to Jupiter, I was like, yo, I am here. I'm available. If anyone would like to hang out in this space for the rest of your life, like I will be here. And then from there, I just loved each story more and more. And then when I went back and started thinking about the first two, I liked them more understanding the collection but I didn't Mm -hmm. when I started it I didn't like instantly fall in love with it I was very skeptical and then I was like okay this is great because I feel like she I don't I generally don't like character driven either but I feel Mm -hmm. like she was able to give a lot Mm -hmm. about her characters and still have plot and still have things happen and still keep me interested in what they were going to do or think or say which is really hard and she also kept it short like when people can keep a short. Yeah. And, and as somebody who writes short stories, like nailing that so that it's succinct mm-hmm. and that you leave people um, with, they can still have curiosities, but not, you know, like confusion. Right. right. And she nails that, like, we don't always know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, we can kind of guess and speculate, but everything felt satisfying. Like, yes. yes. You know, yeah. I always talk about a story ending on a sigh and that sigh could be like relief or it could be resignation or whatever, but it, that satisfaction. And I felt that with every story, the one that like when I was pulled in was the second story okay. um, because there were just, you know, things that I didn't see coming. We talked about spoilers, like when the main character reveals that her sister has been murdered, like that. Right. Well, no, you know, she I wasn't to- murdered. She was shot, but she survived. Remember, and she's right, like right, a shell of herself. But the, the 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 shot. It yeah. was like as such as a gunshot itself. Right. I had to like pause it and read back, and like did that really just happen? Yeah. But you know, it was just so matter of fact. Yeah. You know, and it was, this poor woman is like in is in her grief. Like you know, I felt the grief because of the way that she revealed you know, what had happened to her sister. And yes, big, big difference. She's, she is not, she's in a vegetative state, but yeah. um, she did not die. That so was I, a wow know, moment for me too. I wrote down was, in my notes, Connor shooting Rena's sister was a wow moment. That's what I wrote down. 
and, and you know, it's funny because like you were saying, like, you know, connecting and 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 I wasn't sure how I felt about Rena until yes. then. I didn't you know, care. I couldn't figure out what her deal was. Yeah. I mean, I certainly she was more likable than Dory and the yeah. wedding party, you know. So yeah. I was like, okay, there's a contrast there. But when I realized, oh, this is this is grief. You know, yeah. and and then you know, as someone who you know grieves, uh, who currently has things that I grieve, like all, she was my girl at that yeah. point. Yeah. You know, she really was. And then um, when um, the guy decides he doesn't want to get married, he's just gonna you know sneak away like an asshole and then come back. I wanted to. Oh my gosh! And yeah. so that was one of those moments of like is she going to marry him? Is she, I mean, because clearly she didn't run back. And in the version of, in my head, that she doesn't, she doesn't marry him. No, in the version of my head, Dory fully marries him in her little rainbow bridal party, which truly was like the detail. Like that's oh, what Daniel right. Evans does. It's so good. Is like, she leaves these like one sentence details where you're like, Oh, I fully know that whole person's life. I know their social security number. Right. I know exactly what the house looks like. It's like the rainbow wedding party. Yeah. And she was like, what did the girl in orange do? And I was like, right. yes, because if I was yeah. orange, I'd be like, we're not friends. I'm not going to be in your wedding. Yeah. <laughs> that's like those little, those just so super smart details mm-hmm. that just, like, just satisfying throughout and, um, and the, you know, it it feels like, it feels so like I, w- I read these stories and it felt, um, each one just was the intimacy, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. some stories you read and like from a craft perspective, they're, you know, flawlessly executed, um, but they lack the intimacy. And so these were flawless and intimate. Yeah. And, you know, she just nailed all of it, but yeah, all of the bridesmaids, I was like rolling my eyes, but I was like, like you said, but I knew who those people Instantly. were. Yeah. yeah. It's that, I mean, that is, that is ex- like, I always have a hard time articulating what it is I do and don't like about fiction, mm-hmm. but what that is that like those little nuggets where you get to see a person completely in a sentence to me, that yeah. is the best kind of fiction because what I don't mm-hmm. like about fiction is where it's like, five pages on a detail and I'm like you couldn't figure out a better way to do that like I really had to have this whole long sweeping explanation of what the girl in orange is like all you have to say is that the bridesmaids are wearing rainbow colors to the bachelorette party and I know who all seven of them are and I know exactly who the girl in blue is even if you don't mention her again I know who the girl in Mm -hmm. red is like I get Mm -hmm. it and that kind of like specificity and brevity and just like it's just it just shows me that Danielle Evans has done all the other work. Like she might yeah. have 10 pages of text about the woman yeah. in orange, but I don't need to yeah. see your work. Right. And it shows that she trusts us as readers. Yes. She trusts us to get it. She and she trusts herself as a writer, right? That she knew that, you know, if I I did those, you know, I did all the writing I needed to do to find that detail and that she trusted herself like this is this is going to nail it. And that she trusts us as readers that she didn't have to explain things to us. And sometimes I look at those five extra pages. It's like it's masturbatory. Right. right. You know, there's some people who just think it. And I call that overwriting. Yeah. Um, and there is not a, a, a superfluous word or sentence or paragraph in this yeah. entire collection. I agree. She I agree. Like you're trust never us. you're never like ugh, get to it already. You right, know, like the right. pacing is always like as soon as you're ready to kind of shift. She shifted. 
yeah. as soon as you're ready. Yeah. Like, I feel like that happened a lot in the story. Um, anything could disappear with, yeah. um, as soon as like Vera was like starting to annoy me or like, I was starting to be like, okay, what's going to happen? It was like, Oh, right. just this little thing's changed. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, let me get resituated. And yeah, I mean that, that story to me, I loved, loved. And that story is a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like that story to me is totally, do you ever, do you ever watch the show Narcos? No, I mean, not, I'm sorry, not Narcos. What's the other? I get them confused because it's like people talking about drugs. Um, Ozark with Patrick Bateman. No. Anyways, there's mm-hmm. this white girl with curly hair and then she's like a great actress. And she, to me, is this Vera character. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I just could picture her. But in that story, she uh, Danielle Evans does such a good job of like keeping the pacing going. She lets us get mm-hmm. to know Vera enough. Like we understand, you know, what's happening but she doesn't sit in it. It doesn't become heavy. It doesn't become like laborious. It's, it has that play and it just, did you, itself was heavy enough. Yeah. So you're holding your breath anyway, the whole time, because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop because right. it was just such a wonderful set of circumstances right. and problems. Right. And you're like, this is the house of cards. I don't want to even breathe because I, you know, it's going to blow down at some point. Right. And so then she, you know, then, and then she just had a light hand because she didn't really need to, mm-hmm. you know, be heavy at that point. I'm sorry, you were about to say something. No, 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 no. I love that. I, I think you're so right. It is that overwriting that sometimes like gets in people's way. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I experience that as a podcast. Like when I ask questions, sometimes I go on too long because I can't, I like don't know what I'm trying to say. Right. And it's like, she is so easy and like, so I'm sure it's not easy to do. Right. Of course it's hard. And I'm sure she has pages and pages of things that don't exist to us, but the ability to edit and to clean and to strip away is just as for me as a reader, it's all I ever want. I don't want to see any of your work. It's like one of the things I went to theater school. So I, you know, acting is like one of the ways that I can explain, you know, craft Mm -hmm. to myself. And there's so many actors where it's like, I see the work you've done, right? Like I see that you walked around New York city in character because you're a method actor. I'm like, I don't (laughs) want to see that. I want an actor who's just so effortless that I really think that you are that person. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, she is that kind of writer to me. It's just like effortless, even though Mm -hmm. again, I know she worked really hard. Um, I guess we should, I, I'm just curious. Did you have favorite and least favorite stories? So I was prepared initially to say um, that my favorite story was Richard of York gave battle in vain, the second story. Okay. And then I read the novella. Okay. So maybe it's not even, you can't, maybe that's apples and oranges. Like no, the I think you can include the novella. novella. Um, but if, if I, uh, the, the novella aside, it would, it was the, the Rena and Dory story because again those like just really light touches the yeah. you know the just the, the 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 brevity of it um the characterization um and the the way that she complicated the situation like it would have been so easy if it had been a thing of you know rena and the and i for, keep forgetting the guy's name but yeah. you know she didn't sleep with him but that right. would you know so the thing we kind of expected the right. thing dory expected right. you know didn't happen um 
the, uh, you know, the fact that he was going to bail on the wedding, didn't see, you know, any of that coming. Um, and, and these, and she made me care about people that normally, I, if you just sort of describe these people, I would have been like, and so, you know, but right. she immediately, you know, complicated things in a way that I was all in. Um, so that would be my favorite. Um, least see that's tough to say least favorite because there wasn't an obvious one where I was like "Eh," you know there was nothing like that the one that I think like if I had to pick one I would say happily ever after yeah I felt like the others just had more meat or something Mm -hmm. I don't it's, it's hard to say um but um the characters in the, you know, the main character in Happily Ever After, she's not one that stuck with me. I didn't connect with her the way I did with the other characters. And even the other ones, I might have not even particularly liked them, but I couldn't, you know, yes. I felt something. And, um, and, and so I, that would be the only one, but even yeah. that was just a really well executed story. Um, that intimacy again, yeah. being you know, the women, um, you know, so throughout, of course, you know, there are women characters and the sense of certain, I don't know if searching is the right word. And maybe this is my own bias because I write about dissatisfied women, but, you know, I see dissatisfaction right. all up and through this collection. Yeah, of course. And, and sort of like, so I think her, the main character in Happily Ever After, like her dissatisfaction just wasn't, Lissa, um, as, as, it didn't I didn't connect with it as much. Right. I, yeah, I agree. That one was, I think, my least favorite. But my second least favorite was probably Richard York gave Battle in Vain. While I loved the Connor moment, the Connor shooting the sister, I was really like stopped in my tracks by that mm-hmm. moment. Overall, mm-hmm. that story didn't do a ton for me. Like I liked mm-hmm. it, but I wasn't like super into it. Those first two just really didn't quite, mm-hmm. I don't know. They just weren't working for me. My favorite, I think, is probably definitely boys go to Jupiter. I just yeah. love that one. I just, because I loved, I, I loved how she just fucking nailed Claire, the, yeah. the girl that I know that girl. I have met that yeah. girl. I have unfortunately had to have that girl on my DMS in the last year. Like I know mm-hmm. that person that when she talks about how Claire is distrust, collective anger, but then goes ahead and does her little passive aggressive bitchy ass sliding a thing under the door. And I'm like, Oh, you distrust collective anger. Oh, wow. Except for you get to have your anger. You get to have your like, and I just, "Mm." and even like like the shit with the mom and the cancer. And like, I get, I understand that Danielle Evans was trying to give her more life so that we would feel sympathy for her. But even mm-hmm. that, I even that I didn't feel sympathy for her because I understood like where it was coming from. And like, of course, I feel sympathy that her mother died of cancer when she was in high school. Right. Of course, of course. But I, it's still, it was like, but you're still a terrible person and you're still mm-hmm. so selfish and you're still like all of these things. And I loved hating her and I loved just like, Mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. the complexity that she built into that story, how yeah. I can imagine that certain readers will read, will read that story very differently than how I did. And I loved mm-hmm. that part of it. Like, I just, I thought it was so good. Like just, oh, I loved it. It was such a commentary on whiteness, such a commentary. And white womanhood in particular, like the very last part 
where she basically is like, you know, she was, she could be whoever she wanted to be. She could, you know, mm-hmm. this, that she still, even in that, that moment of being diminished and having to be accountable, she still had agency. She still had a, a measure of control. Um, I, you know, when she said what, you know, the part about not, you know, not liking collective anger, what a dog whistle, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, about, you know, because mm-hmm. Black folks, we are collectively angry. Right. We don't get to have individual personal anger. Right, right. And so that was such a dog whistle. And I I feel like, you know, we don't always get that look inside, you know, because you, you, I read that story in t- with like two views, like, we were in her head and then mm-hmm. I kept imagining and, and Daniel made it easy because she showed us how the rest of the world was seeing mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you can fill in any black girl, any, I'm sorry, any white girl who got caught in blackface or whatever right. it is. Right. And, you know, the public face, the non-apology, the defensiveness and all of that. And then you see in, on the interior, even when there's no maliciousness, there's still this, dis- is it, disaffectedness, disaffectation, mm-hmm. where there's just not the concern. Like she right. still sees herself as the victim, right. you know, right. exactly. in, in all of this. And even with her best friend having been Black. So clear, So this is proof. Having a best, best friend be Black <laughs> means nothing. Means nothing. Um, I could not get past, and this is not a criticism, I'm just saying that it, it's my criticism of the character, not the story. Um this is again. We talked about this um, when when I was talking to you previously about my book and and other topics. This the how white supremacy affects all of us mm-hmm. and like the history. Like, but we and tip, usually it's white folks who don't know the history, so they think they're being individuals. Mm-hmm. So her affection for Angela's mother, mm-hmm. you know, black women have always had to take care of white children right. that are not there. You right. know, and so I I was uncomfortable with that, but she had the you know those fond memories of you know being treated like one of the family and and all of that, and um and all I could think is she's not your mammy, right? <laughs> you know, she's, no, you know, so uh she tugged she you know a lot of heartstrings because yes, like you said, her mother did die, and you're sympathetic, and she is still a child, mm-hmm. but all of my issues with you know, whiteness and white supremacy, like she was like touching all the nerves. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, so people listening to this conversation now will have heard my conversation with Danielle last week. So you guys will have heard us sort of talk about this story a little bit, but one of the things that I found interesting and I think about a lot, especially in 2020, this year of like racial reckoning and like discovering racism and all this shit (laughs) is that, is that, People assume, let me rephrase that, white people assume that these conversation topics are new or fresh Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. but Danielle Evans has been writing this story and these stories for years. And Mm -hmm. so I just love and hate that this story feels so current. Right. Like, of course, it would have felt current 10 years ago, too. But like Mm -hmm. in this moment of like, I I didn't know wearing a Confederate flag was bad. Like that whole thing is just it just was like, 
oh, this story is so spot on for this exact moment. And I know she turned in her manuscript probably, you know, six, nine, 12 months ago or whatever. But, and the thing about, the thing about Claire and like the collective anger and the wearing of the bikini and then the sliding it under the door and the whole thing is that even still in her doing that, there is a justification and a train of thought that white people are able to follow that absolve any sort of blame or whatever. And I feel like Danielle Evans nails that too, right? Like it's like- The myth of white innocence. Yes. It's it's like you, your best friend was black and you lived in Virginia and you didn't ever think that perhaps the Confederate flag wasn't a great idea. But again, it's all about the individual because what she said, and this was probably in the first couple of lines was- you know, I only wore it to piss off Bunny you know, my step or whatever, whatever her name Puppy. was. Puppy. Yeah. You know, to piss off my stepmom. And so to it and it's always there's always some bullshit innocence right. excuse. Right. You know? And it but there's never a moment that says, it doesn't matter why I did it. Right. It was wrong. Or oh my God, the- I didn't realize how upset someone might be because of this. Right. It's like, but oh it well, I always said hi to her it- in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wait, but this is a good time to talk about, because you mentioned that you talk about writing the other first do no harm. I'm curious what you think about this story from that perspective of folks of, of Danielle Evans being a black woman writing this white character. So I don't think it's a, a, it's a comparison, right? right? Because, um, Black people, like we have to know white people right. better than they know themselves. Right. And so I, we get to write about white people with authority. <laughs> um, right. And I, I was in a conversation with someone else, some other writers about this idea of writing about, a, a pers- you know, from perspective that's not yours. And it usually goes wrong because what people, what you can't research is nuance Mm -hmm. and what you can't research and get it right is joy. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's why we often, when people write the other quote unquote, Mm -hmm. it's the pathology, it's the trauma porn, it's the, it's the slavery, it's the, you know, that stuff Um, because that's what they see. And that's what it reduces usually people of color to and black people in particular. Um, So when the tables are turned, um, we know the nuance of whiteness, mm-hmm. you know, we've had to know it to survive. Yeah. You know, we had to be able to predict what they're going to do. We had to, we've had to read their minds, right. you know? Right. Um, and so, you know, I feel like Danielle has the authority here to do that, um, in a way that if the reverse was true, I don't think that authority exists and there's the potential for harm. Um, the lack of, there's no potential for harm, you know, the, just from a power perspective, Danielle isn't going to harm white people by writing about them in a particular way. It right. just won't happen. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, and I also think like, again, I like that in this collection, the characters that are kind of like our protagonists in each story, she mm-hmm. moves between protagonists, black protagonists, white protagonists. Rena, yeah. it's sort of, I'm not exactly sure what ethnicity Rena is. I think she's a person of color, but I don't think that she's clearly a black woman. Um, and I, I sort of like that she plays around with that. 
Rena described herself as black, Polish, and and you know something another mm, nationality. Okay. Um, but I assume that she was white presenting because nobody else mentioned her blackness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So or like she's was... like ethnically ambiguous sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I def yeah, okay, okay, that's good. I you know, sometimes I miss some of like the little details, but I I sort of like not necessarily knowing the race of the character right off mm-hmm. the bat and sort of trying to navigate what the power struggle is or the power yes. structure is in the stories. And so I found that to be sort of fun in this collection because I was doing that like, okay, what, once she introduced Claire, then I was like, oh, is this person white? Is this person not white? Oh, like we're doing this. And I sort of loved that about the collection. Like this, she's sort of playing a game with us also. Right. Right. Because, you know, what, how do you read the character differently when you think, you know, and then, and also in um, Alcatraz, Mm -hmm. I forgot that her mother was black right yeah and that one was a little confusing too yeah and i and so that gave me something to interrogate about myself like i was told she was black mm-hmm. but then you know I, I lost it somewhere so you know there were just so many great layers there um in that yeah. story in general but that in particular yeah well what okay so one of my questions about that story is did you i don't know if she says it expl- explicitly and i was sort of trying to figure out the so the mother who is the black child of in this white family yes she so the mother has a white mother so there's a white grandmother but a black mother was the was the father a black person or was the whole family passing okay i went back a couple of times because i had that exact okay. question so i where I think I landed was that Papa, the grandfather, was white. Yes. And then the the father, um, so the main character's grandfather, who was, we never saw him, right. the main character. Her, so um, he was Black, but was absent. Okay. You know, she came home. What is the line? She came home with a Black baby. Yes. You know, okay. not with a Black boy, but with, right. you know, a Black man, but with a Black baby. So that, I think that was the only black person but then i don't know if the main character's father was black right we don't we know that the main character is at least like some partial some some percentage black but we don't know if it's one half one quarter three quarters right we just know that her parents are divorced right we know her parents are divorced and we know that her mom is half black half white right um right yeah i i liked that story I think that was another one of the stories that I was really into, but it wasn't as specific for me. Like I didn't, I wasn't like as obsessed with it, but I also maybe because it came after boys go to Jupiter and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, I was like freaked out about, I was so in. Um, But I did love like the tension and like the, like the discomfort in that story. It just felt so awkward and like, Yeah, I mean, because, you know, there was the the mother-daughter dynamic there where, you know, um, her mother had, you know, relied too heavily on her. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, so you could sort of, you could sense the discomfort, but there was nothing where she ever confronted it. 
Mm-hmm. And so it was like, as soon as I, you, we got some glimpses of that mother daughter dynamic, it was like, but let's look back at the racist, you know, family mm-hmm. members, or let's look back at Papa's, you know, um, the way that, you know, he was, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, just the horrible thing that he, right. that happened to him, right. you know? Um, and so I wanted more of an arc between the mother and daughter. Um, one of the things I just love throughout the, this collection were the relationships between women. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this one kind of bounced around a little bit. So we have the main character starts to connect with her cousin. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Nancy and then the main character's mother. Mm-hmm. But I was just so much more interested in the main character and her mother. Yeah. and we just didn't get to see as much of that as I would have wanted. And I think that's one of the reasons that I like the second story is the relationship between Dory and Rena. Just, it's so unexpected. And I love that they went to a water park. (laughs) I I mean, just, I I loved everything about that. I really, really did. So I love that we had different takes on that one because it's always fun for me when like someone loves something that I'm like, "Ah," or vice versa. So I love that that's like your favorite one. And I mean, again, there's some wow moments in that story for sure. Um, We should take a pause. Okay. And then we'll we'll come back and do some of the other stories. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. We're back. What about why won't women just say what they want? So I thought I wasn't going to like that. I, I thought, thought I, I was... wasn't either. <laughs> and then I fucking loved it. I loved it. Ah. Oh. I just thought it was so fun. I loved how she named the characters in like these really specific ways and then kept going back to like the full sentence. And I love that it was sort of playful, but it was serious. And it was like such an incredible example of the ways that we are gaslit. Gaslit. The manipulation, the like all the whole, like the ways that she just wrote it out. I feel like a lot of the things that she was able to write out in mm-hmm. that story are the ways that women talk about each other and yeah. also the ways that we understand things but are never able to articulate. And I just right. like loved those two things. Like the names for the women is totally how yeah. we talk about each other, right? Like you go yeah. to your girlfriend and you're like, oh, the second wife you never really liked or like, right. oh, you know. And then I love that like the one girl had her name. Shannon. Shannon. Like, And of course it's a Shannon. But did you think that he was black or did you think that he was white, the artist? I thought he was white. And you know who I pictured? You know, in Bridesmaids, her fuck buddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the same kind of disheveled hair situation. Him. Him. And I I felt like this story could have been called this motherfucker. Mm -hmm. Like, just Mm -hmm. every... I was like, Mm -hmm. this... And it's the things that men do and say mm-hmm. and in this interesting you were saying like you know the way that we women talk you know those names for the women were how women talk about each other but the things that he said are the things that men say to us that I think sometimes we are too ashamed to repeat right we never or talk about did something wrong you know right. well, we haven't done anything wrong but to you know to know that you stayed with somebody who talk to you that way. Like it becomes your shame. And so this is an interesting twist because, you know, on the surface, at least it's some accountability. Mm -hmm. Like we know he's full of shit still to the very end. Um, But on the surface, there's this accountability and there's still something kind of gratifying about it. Even though it was all orchestrated, it shows he knew exactly what he was doing Mm -hmm. all along. All along, he knew how the, what was right. He knew right from wrong, you know, and then he didn't do the right thing until it could serve him, you know, in, in his, his art. Um, but then, you know, there was that element of revenge fantasy mm-hmm. that I was like, yes, yeah. this motherfucker got his. <laughs> yeah. And I loved 
what she did. So like, I think as, as I was reading it, I was like, why is he apologizing? Like what's going on? Like, this is like mm-hmm. so weird what's going on. And I love that she really took it to like the furthest logical end, yes. which was like, it was all for a piece of art because yeah. I think that we all have been in situations where someone, whether it was a man or a woman or whatever, treated us yeah. in a way, gaslit us and then came back and apologized. And it's like, why are you doing this? Like I had a girlfriend yeah. who I had a falling out with. And she, like, I, you know, I let her know that she needed to stop talking about me, like this whole thing. We had like a real full conversation. And then like nine months later, she reached out to me, was like, I would like to talk to you because I have some things I still want to say. And I was like, what is this bitch doing? And then I realized it was because I was about to be hosting a party for a mutual friend and she wanted to be included. And I did include her because it was the mutual friends engagement party. You know, like I was like, whatever, I'm hosting it, but it's not my thing. But it was like that same moment of like, why are you here? Why do you mm-hmm. have some things you want to get off your chest? You know, like, what yeah. is this about? And I love that she took it so far to this, like, yeah. satire place of, like, it's for my art performance, like, yeah. volcano. And it just, uh, it was just so juicy, good, and fun. And it was, like, in the perfect yeah. spot in the book. It was, like, yeah. the perfect. You were ready for a little. We needed a little after Alcatraz. Yeah. And then we got, you know, anything could disappear to kind of, like, bring us back down. And then we go into this novella. It just, like... The flow of the book in general is really good. Mm-hmm. And that particular mm-hmm. story, I think, on its own, I might not have loved it. But as part of this book, I just think mm-hmm. it was like, just again, like Danielle Evans understanding her audience, giving us credit, yeah. giving us what we need, taking care of us, just like, ugh. and the fact that he didn't think that anyone would push him in. And then the like least assuming person did. Yeah. So lacking in self-awareness. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just and, so and, and then, you know, that is his undoing. Yeah. Being, you know, lacking self-awareness ultimately was his undoing. And that just again, there was that sigh. Mm-hmm. I was so satisfied at the end of that so one. I loved good. it. It's so good. <laughs> okay. What do we have to say about anything could disappear? And then we'll do the novella. Yeah. I, you know, I heard Danielle read from that. Oh. Which great that was really great she just you know read a part of it um well one of the things I love about just stories in general and in this one in particular is that idea of it just throws out the window your concept of right and wrong Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I have not yet satisfactorily answered if I would have handled it differently if somebody, I mean, not me now, me now at my age and all of this, like, you know, I, I would figure something else out. Uh, I also would hope I wasn't a drug mule, but you know, given those circumstances, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think I would have wanted to turn this kid over either. I would have, I would have been like, okay, let me go drop these drugs off. Cause I'm not trying to get in trouble. And then I would have immediately taken the child to the fucking department, whatever. I would have been like, look, this kid is here. I don't fucking know. I am not interested in this. I want to just live in New York. Like I am a 20 something. I am trying to be in New York city. I am trying to go have a beverage. I'm trying to go out at nighttime. Like I'm not trying to be a mom at 20 to a stranger's two-year-old. Like, are you kidding me? Goodbye. It's a hard no. And again, I would not be a drug mule, but I would definitely, if I was in that situation, I'm going to get my $10,000 because I made it this far. 
But yeah. like truly, I was not interested in that baby. I loved the story. <laughs> loved the story. I loved how she made her sympathetic. I loved how she yeah. was still pretty fucking terrible. I loved like I loved how it played out. I loved that there was like this dreadlocked boyfriend for a little bit and like how everything was like perfect. Did you think at first or at some point that Adam and Derek were a couple? No. I thought that's where we were going there at first. Oh, no, I didn't think that at all. Um, but okay. I did. I, I didn't know. I didn't get that vibe at all. I because I, I, I feel like it, this one almost sort of played with like the rom-com genre. Right. Like yeah. it's like sort of a Which fucked up like rom-com. Yeah, dark rom com, edgy rom com. That's a new yeah, but it genre. like sort of did. It was like oh, like girl goes to New York City, like ends up with a child, but finds a way to make it work. You know, obviously, like as a drug mule, right? And- it's like the dark part of it is like as a drug mule in like a shady <laughs> business, but there and it's like falls in love with like young entrepreneur. Like they all live together in this great loft, and then shit falls apart i i I just like it it worked with the conventions that i like to try again like i just thought it really worked yeah okay let's do a little practical because i was like is she ever gonna take this kid to the doctor is that (laughs) when it's gonna like all fall apart he's not getting his well-tell visits right now he needs (laughs) he needs a vaccine or two like what's going on has he had his shots (laughs) <laughs> right but you know and so then when they produced like the um fake birth certificate and all of that stuff i was like okay this could she could really get away with this right yeah. she could totally get away with it and then like and then my heart really sank when she was searching and she found his father yeah me too and then i was like yeah that yeah that was hard yeah. that was really hard and and but she but danielle like kept me on my toes to the very end because I thought she was going to like ring and run with the kid. Mm-hmm. I thought she was going to I didn't go. know that she was going to like bail on her friend and because by bailing on her friend, now there's somebody who could connect her. So she's really going to have to disappear. You know what I right, mean? As opposed right. to if her friend thought she just left with her kid and they she never heard from him again. But anyway, the, having, you know, writing the letters and those sorts of things, like I did not um, anticipate that. Um, but it, you know, that scene was really heartbreaking too, when she puts the baby to bed for the last time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it just was so good. Okay. Let's do the novella, the office of historical corrections. Okay. I have to just say this right now because I am never this person, but (laughs) I, this is the one story that I got ahead of. I knew where it was going. I figured it out pretty early and so and I'll tell you how I figured it out and I don't know if this was on purpose or not but Chase or whatever the white supremacist boy when Mm -hmm. they're talking about him and the woman who owns the shop right Danielle Evans refers to him as a nephew of that woman except for they share the same grandma or something so they're really cousins and when she did that I don't know if that was on purpose or not but it made me think oh something's not right with this family tree I wonder if they're black like literally 
that one thing because I am obsessed with family trees. Like I can tell you if someone's your first cousin once removed or your second cousin or Mm -hmm. you're like, I can do that whole thing. And so there was something about the family tree because I think what it was is actually that she said, it's my nephew. But then she said that the dad was her like cousin or or something like her uncle was his dad. And so that's not your nephew. That's your cousin. And so in that moment, I was like, oh, something's not right. I bet there's black people here. Like I literally was like, I bet somebody's black somehow. And like, and then I was just like waiting for it to play out. So I don't know, but I don't know if she did that on purpose because I, I mean, I don't think that I'm smart enough to do that on my own. So I think maybe she was trying to leave some breadcrumbs or something. I don't know. I I missed that. So you're sharp. I totally missed that part. Um, You know, one of the things that, that I felt sort of shades of with between um, Jeannie and the main character, and why do I suck at character names? Cassie um, or Cassandra or something. Yeah. Yeah. Jeannie and Cassie, they were giving me, um, uh, Bell Letters from uh, the heads of the colored people. Yes. The two black yes, girls. Yes, 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 yes. I felt like that, you know, that sort of era again, or that 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 sentiment. And initially, I was like, oh, I hate that they're being pitted against each other, mm-hmm. and then they have. But then there, it's it's rivalry doesn't even seem like the right word for mm-hmm. it. But it was so interesting to me, mm-hmm. you know, like when she said to her. Um, like she was just so blunt. Jeannie was just so blunt, but Cassie acknowledged she was blunt, but she was right. She was right. She was right when she was like, oh yeah, I get that now. Like you were the only black girl I know that was raised to be happy. I was like, God damn. Like, don't you feel like half of the time I'm Cassie and half of the time I'm Jeannie, right? Like sometimes I'm so mad and like, I can be blunt and I can be in your face, but I'm also right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to be acknowledged for that. And then sometimes I'm Cassie right. where like someone will be like, oh, X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, fuck, I really blew that. Like, I'm not being yeah. a good fucking black person. Like, I'm not holding it down in the right ways. I mean, I feel like I'm trying to grow into Jeannie, you know, but sometimes it's just so much easier to be Cassie, you know, yeah. kind of going along to to get along and, um, but that, but I just loved the evolution of that relationship. Yeah. Um, the, you know, kind of three stages. It was that we, we and I love that we got to see them as kids, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then they're in this professional setting, and then it, you know, when they were in um, Wisconsin together, um, you know, the fact that their relationship, you know, actually shifted, and they were dealing with each other. Um, honestly you know mm-hmm. and 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 it, i and just as we i feel like good i'm glad this relationship can like heal and mend um you know she dies right. i know oh, that, i didn't see that exact ending i didn't have oh, the ending i just had the past i didn't part. see that coming at all at yeah. all the ending was really good did you do you feel like an office of historical corrections or whatever the real name is do you think that mm-hmm. would be a good idea how do you think that would play out in our world? Well, it would frustrate me no end because, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and Danielle alluded to it in the introduction with, you know, talking about an era where truth was being, you know, mm-hmm. it was, the truth was in shambles. I mean, I don't remember what her exact, exact words were, but um, it enrages me that in this moment, truth doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if we had something like that, 
and people also ignored that, mm. then I'd just be angrier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, when you coin the term alternative facts, I mean, all the right. corrections in the world won't matter to people who simply don't want any other narrative that than the one that they already have. And they don't want any narrative that's going to make them uncomfortable. Right. And so, um, you know, this, this mythical or, you know, this fictional um, office of historical corrections, you know, Institute for public history. Um, I love the concept of it, mm -hmm. but I'm just so cynical that it wouldn't even make a difference right. nowadays. Right. And I also think I love the idea of it as well, but I also think like every other government institution or whatever, you know, it would be run by fucking whoever. I'm not going to name a politician, but you know, like it would, right. it's not like it's being helmed by Cassie and Jeannie. It's being right, helmed exactly. by some fucking, you know, oh, this, we got this one wrong. We have to go back and fix it. Da, da, da. Like, I just, I yeah. think it would, but, I, but, what I like about it is the idea, the, at least of the story, is that this idea that like minor historical errors can change yeah. the ways that we think about things and ourselves. And like the example with Juneteenth, where it's like yes. Juneteenth is a fundamentally different holiday and it says a yeah. fundamentally different thing about blackness in America if it is celebrating the Emancipation Proclamation versus if it's celebrating the day in Te Galveston, Texas, when black right. people who had been slaves for extra three years finally found out. And I've right. never really thought about that small distinction, but I'm sure for a lot of people who aren't black, who never heard of Juneteenth, they thought it probably was for the Emancipation Proclamation, right? right? And like, that is a different right. holiday and a different thing. And there's so many of these little tiny historical errors. Right. And I think when you point those kinds of things out, what you want is for white people to say, huh, I wonder what else I don't know. Mm -hmm. I wonder what else I've taken for granted. I wonder what else, what other assumptions I've made that have, that keep me ignorant. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to coming from a place of, I know everything I, you know, there's nothing, you know, that, that they can't be educated. You know, there's that quote from Martin Luther King is that the problem with the, you know, with, with white moderates, I think he said white moderates is, or just white people is that they don't think that there's anything they need to be educated about. Mm, and that's yeah. dangerous. Right. You know, and so I love this, the idea of that Institute because it exists to say that Americans in general are just ignorant of mm -hmm. history mm -hmm. and that you need to question everything you thought you knew and be curious about what you didn't know. And how does that impact how you show up in the world? Right. Right. Because the response that I've so often experienced with white people is like, oh, you got this thing wrong or whatever. That's not accurate. Is like, it's not even just that. It, or like the response is often, I got it wrong, but that's what I was taught. Like, there's no curiousness. There's no like, right. oh, like, I feel like when I learn that I got something wrong, I'm like, let me go on Google and just fucking go nuts. Like Down all I want to do. Right. Like that's how I became a whiz in family trees <laughs> is that I was like, what the fuck is a cousin once removed? And then I looked it up and I was like, yeah. oh my God, I can figure the whole thing out. Like, and it's just that. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. I know we have to go. So I want to just do the last thing that we always do, 
which is what did you think of the cover and the title? So when I first heard the title before I got the book or got into the book, I was, it just immediately made me curious. Mm -hmm, So I think it's a great title in terms of, you know, drawing a reader in. Um, And then I love the, um, that the text on the cover, there's that handwriting. Mm-hmm. This is a novella and stories. And then, you know, so part of it is, is typeface. And the other part is, you know, it appears to be handwritten. Um, I don't know, like, it doesn't connect to the story, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but I can't think of an alternative, like, you know, a great cover for this would have been, you right. know, I can't suggest anything else about it but um but I did like the handwriting because it ties to how intimate these stories are yeah so I did like that I like the handwriting because I think it ties also to like notes like it's like this is the text and I'm just adding these little notes like correcting the record like adding just this like little thing I agree I love the title it was super intriguing to me I don't I I like the way that the cover looks but it doesn't give you Mm -hmm. any clues Except yeah. for possibly like the color being painted across, like the blue, pink, yellow, the stripes oh, is sort of like either highlighting or like crossing off in a way. Mm, like there's mm-hmm. something there. It just doesn't quite translate for me. I like it. Like I think it's a beautiful book. I'd be happy to have it in my collection, but I don't know if the title mm-hmm. or the cover connects in an obvious way, which I think is hard also right. with stories. Um, is there anything else you want to say about the book or the stories or anything? I have a question for you. Did I, did I miss something? What is the meaning of the title of the second story? Richard of York gave battle. I have no idea. I didn't get that either. Okay. No, (laughs) I didn't either. Uh, I was like, I have no idea what this means, which is why I could never think of the title of the story, which is also part of the reason I think the story didn't stick with me as much because I couldn't Uh. place it in my mind. But no, mm-hmm. I don't know. If anyone knows, please let us know. You can well actually okay. me and tell me. Um, yeah. This was such a treat, Disha. Thank you so Thank you. much for taking the time and the care to discuss these stories with me. And just ugh, everyone, if you haven't read Disha's book yet, it's called The Secret Life of Church Ladies. It's out in the world. It was a National Book Award finalist. That means it's good. So go Thank read it. You. Disha, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me and for the opportunity to talk about this book and, and um, yeah. happy 2021. I know we made it. We have a new president as of this, rec- as of this airing, just FYI, yay for us yay. and everyone else. We will see you in the stacks. Thank you so much to Disha for being our guest today. All right, here it is. The February stacks book club is the new wilderness by Diane Cook. We will discuss this book on Wednesday, February 24th. Please tune in next week to find out who our guest will be for that discussion. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Sebastian Alcala is our sound editor and producer. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajits. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>